How's it going this morning? Good. Listen, for us, this is like uh, my family and I just like coming back to home. This is a homecoming of sorts. Um, we were here for a couple of years during the initial church plant phase. And so it's amazing to be able to see how many new faces there are here, uh, be able to see some good friends that we've spent a lot of good time with and be able to continue to see God move through this church as you are reaching into the city of Mount Monk's Corner. It's been pretty, pretty cool. Uh, so this morning, if you are new here, you are catching us in the middle of a series that Pastor Robbie has been teaching through called Joyride as we go through uh, the book of Philippians or Paul's letter uh, to the church in Philippi. So this is week nine. Pastor Robbie has been taking his time getting through the book of Philippians. And I think there's a few more weeks left, but he's allowing me to take over week nine. And I am thankful to be here this morning. But before we get into God's word, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this as we move through the text this morning. I want you, I want you to begin to answer this question for yourself. What in life causes you the greatest amount of anxiety? What in life causes you to just be so anxious that sometimes you find yourself sitting on the edge of your seat? Think about that. It's going to be different for, for all of us. Maybe for some of you, the thought of going into work tomorrow is already making you feel anxiety. For some of you, maybe it's, a, it's an unresolved conflict, maybe within uh, a, a friend group or maybe within your family. And just thinking about that necessary conversation that you know you need to have is already making you be concerned. Or maybe you're parenting a, a teenager and, you, and you're, out of, you're out of options and you don't know what to do and you're just anxious about what's happening. For some of you right now, you're thinking about these things and your heartbeat is elevating and your palms are already beginning to get sweaty. So I want to move on before I lose you. I don't want, to, I don't want you to cash out and leave real quick. I think that uh, anxiety affects us all differently, doesn't it? And we've done a really good job in our society to, to, to look for ways to jack our anxiety up. So think about this. Uh, when you get up in the morning, the first thing that many of you do is you roll over and you grab your telephone. You grab your phone. And you look at it and there's already notifications. So, so you go through the emails, you go through the text messages, and you're already starting to peak up your anxiety. And then while you're at it, you say, well, let me just go ahead and log on to, to Facebook and, and Instagram and see what's going on there. And then you see your friends are on vacation and you're stuck here in Monk's Corner and your anxiety continues to grow, right? And then if you're a real glutton for punishment, you continue on and you log into the local news source. You check out Fox News or CNN, wherever you get your news from, and you find out what's going on in China and Taiwan, or are they going to have enough microchips to continue to produce cars, or what's going to happen next? And now you're almost at a maximum level, and you have not even brushed your teeth yet, right? And so we continue to see this, and if you're really, really in it that morning, you'll log into your neighborhood's Facebook page. And you'll find out real fast a couple things, your anxiety will increase, and also you will begin to weep for humanity. So maybe stay off of that page. Hey, listen, I want you to, I want you to hear my heart on this this morning. I want you to know that, that I, in no way, in no shape, in no form, uh, will I ever minimize or diminish anxiety. It's a serious issue, and, and it is so serious uh, that the Bible addresses this so frequently. Uh, the Greek word for, uh, for anxiety or anxious is merimnao. Miriam Nao is the Greek word, which, which my wife, she said, it sounds like Mama Ono. Mama Ono. So she's a Hebrew scholar, so you have to forgive her and her lack of Greek. But Miriam Nao occurs 19 times in the New Testament. And so anytime we see the Bible uh, approach a topic with such repetition as that, we need to lean in and pay some attention to it. We need to lean in. It's, it's a serious, and I think we can all admit that anxiety takes a toll on us and the people around us as well. 
And actually, the, the Anxiety and Depression Association of America says this, that over 40 million adults have been diagnosed with anxiety. That's 20% of the adult population face anxiety or be treated or being treated for anxiety. Now, this is before COVID, so I can only imagine now that the number's even higher. We live in an anxious society. Some of the disorders include a general dis uh, anxiety disorder, panic disorders, separation anxiety, social anxiety, selective mutism, which I'm sure some of you wish your spouse had a little bit of a selective mutism. Selective phobias, and the list goes on. Symptoms include feeling nervous, increased heart rate, rapid breathing, feeling weak or tired, sleeping troubles, GI issues, loss of concentration, physical health issues, and trouble with alcohol or drug use as we seek to treat the symptoms of anxiety. Anxiety takes a major toll on our family and us, doesn't it? When I was wrestling in high school and college, I always enjoyed the practice, always enjoyed the grind of preparing for competition. But on competition day, man, I, I hated it. I did not enjoy the actual com competition portion of it uh, because, man, I, I just felt like this level of anxiety just welling up inside of me that, that was almost to where I wanted to flee from the mat sometimes. And for me, the physiological impact of anxiety caused a similar issue. It caused it some GI issues where I would have to go multiple times to the bathroom before any match occurred. I think some of you may have experienced that as well before. Uh, two things I learned from that. One is that anytime I was, I was always in good company because the line for the bathroom was always out the door, right? And the second thing I learned from that is that always bring your own roll of toilet paper. That's bonus. That's bonus round. That's also a good travel tip. Um, but listen, it's just good to know that we are not alone in anxieties and how it manifests itself in our lives. I think we can all agree that we are an anxious society and that we are in much need of peace. We're in much need of peace. And I'm not talking about like the Miss America, I wish for world peace. I'm talking about peace where I can rest at night, where I can be calm and I can focus on God. When Peter, oh, I'm sorry, when Jesus is at the Last Supper uh, and he's teaching his disciples and he's, and he's preparing them for his inevitable departure through his death and his resurrection on the cross, what does he say? He tells them that it's better for him to leave because the Father will send the Holy Spirit in his absence. And that the Holy Spirit would indwell in them and would teach them. And Jesus tells them this in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So, so how do we go from, from this, this anxiety, this anxious feeling we have to peace? How do we get there? Well, that's what we're going to take a look at today, and we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to go through verses 1 through 9. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up there. If not, the words will be on the screen behind me. We'll start out in verse 1. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So three things we're going to look at this morning that we see how, how has God given us uh, three things we need to do to relieve anxiety. The first is we need to resolve conflict. 
we need to resolve conflict. So let's set the stage here real quick uh, for, for what's going on in this scenario. Uh, Pastor Robbie, I know, has taught you a little bit already about uh, Paul is in prison in Rome, and he is sending this letter of joy, of, 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 uh, of support, of encouragement to the church in Philippi. So imagine receiving a letter from Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was one of the church planters here. Everybody would have been extremely excited. So they would have gathered around, and they would have been in this room. If somebody unrolls a scroll, it begins to read word by word. It's a pretty exciting time. And so here, Paul is encouraging them, talking about advancing the gospel and to remain firm. And it's an exciting time. And then he gets down all of a sudden to very two specific names, Yodia and Sintichi. Now I had to practice saying that second one. That's a tough one. But Yodia and Sintichi all of a sudden would have heard their names and everybody in the room would have turned to look at these two ladies. You ever get that feeling where everybody's staring at you? That's for sure what's going on here. That's for sure what's going on. And listen, the fact that that fact that Paul is addressing something here means that something was going on. Something was causing disunity and disharmony amongst the church there that had to be addressed immediately. And so what is Paul doing? He's sitting here and he's he's imploring these ladies to resolve their conflict and to seek reconciliation. And the fact that Paul even knows about this is is pretty amazing because it's not a 5-second text message. Somebody had to take the time to write the message down to describe what's going on, send the letter from the eastern side of Greece to the western side of Italy in Rome where Paul was located and then receive a message back. And so to take that meant that, to do that meant that it was intentional enough uh, that it was a serious issue that had to be addressed. It was causing disunity. And so Paul here in his absence, he goes on to enlist the help of what he calls a true companion or Clement. Now, we don't know who the true companion is, but, but obviously a trusted person or mentor or potentially an elder within the church that he was wanting to come into the situation as well. And we also don't know what the conflict is about. We don't, we don't know what, what the two ladies were arguing about. We don't know if there was a sin issue that needed to be addressed or, or something as simple as what color the carpet should be or do we go with chairs or pews? We have no idea. But honestly, does it really even matter? Does it really even matter what the conflict was about? Because if it's a conflict that's big enough to get the church involved, to have the Apostle Paul speak into it, it's something that needs to be addressed immediately. Well, Jesus gives us the perfect example of how we're supposed to resolve our conflict, the perfect model for conflict re- resolution and church discipline we can find in Matthew chapter 18. In chapter 18, 15 through 17, it says this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even then, even to the church, let him be to you as a pagan or a tax collector. So step one, resolve the conflict amongst yourselves. Somebody needs to be the, the, the bigger person to go and maybe be the first to apologize or to go and bring up uh, whatever it is that has caused this conflict between you. Somebody needs to make that move. Step number two is, is to get a third party involved, like the true companion or like your life group leader or your, disciple, your D group leader. Get those involved. And, and, and you go to the person with humility and with compassion and, and, and with a posture of gratitude for the opportunity to convene with them. But you don't hit them over the head with it, right? 
And then the third step is that we come and we now we have we take it to the church. And this is when the pastors and elders get involved. And, and this is where we are right now in the story with Yodi and Sintichi. Now we've brought in the pastors and the elders. And what we do is we always pray that we never get to step three because the resolution for step three, if conflict resolution is not found, then now we have to disfellowship the, the person out of the church, meaning they can no longer go to church here. And that's what they're saying. They said that they would be to you as a pagan or a tax collector. So you never want to get to that place. You never want to get to the place. Now, I think here in our modern times, we don't think about how, how critical that was to them. Because what happens is if we have a disagreement with somebody, we'll just take our disagreement and our problems, we'll go to the church down the road. We'll, right? We'll bring our problems down there, and guess what? Wherever you go, there you are. It's always the problem we face. And so what do we, what do we see here with the, with the ladies here? If they become disfellowshipped from the church, I mean, this is the center of their universe. This is where they go to fellowship. This is where they go to worship. This is the only place they can go to actually see Scripture read aloud. This is where they have friendship. This is where they eat together sometimes. This is a serious problem. And I think that we need to take it a little bit more serious as well, that we never want to get to step three, that we need to resolve conflict at step one if possible. Paul continues on here and he tells them that they need to rejoice in the Lord always. What an interesting thing to say, rejoice in the Lord always when he's talking about his conflict resolution. But I believe what he's trying to do is provide some much needed insight, some much needed perspective into the ladies that are involved in this conflict. And he reminds them that in all circumstances, that our true joy is found in our Heavenly Father. And I think sometimes we get wrapped up in our own thoughts so much that, that we lose sight of our ability to, to honor God and keep him at his center of our lives. And we'll, we'll touch on that uh, a little bit more in a few minutes. Paul then instructs them to let their reasonableness or their gentleness be known. We can make a, an assumption here that, that more than likely these uh, Yodi and Sintichi are mature believers, probably a little further along in the sanctification process. And so for them, they, they would have been looked to as spiritual mentors, spiritual guides amongst the community, especially with the, with the, the young ladies there. They would have looked to Yodi and Sintichi to guide them through life. Now here they are, and now they're in the middle of this conflict, and they're witnessing what these two ladies are doing and the conflict that is going on between them. So, so what if you're new to the faith? What if you're new to the church, and you come in, and you see this division amongst people? What are you going to think? You're going to think, man, this doesn't look any different than my secular work environment that I go to on Monday, or, or this is no different than the HOA meeting I go to uh, once a month that I wish I hadn't. It's no different. Recently, uh, Barna Research Group, Barna does uh, surveys of, of, of Christians to understand like where is the church heading, th different topics. They did a poll and they found that the number one reason why atheists or why non-believers believe there's the existence of God is it's not because of science. It's not even because of something like the problem of evil. Like if, if God exists and why does evil happen? No, the number one reason that atheists said that they do not believe that there is a God is because of the hypocrisy of Christ followers. Think about that. Now, there's a lot to unpack in that statement, but that's the biggest barrier to, to people coming to Christ is us. The ones who were called to, to bring them to Christ, we stand in the way. People are watching us, and we need to remember that, that when we put that Jesus fish on the back of our car, we have that Bible verse in our cubicle at work, that people see that, and they want to see, how are you different? Are you, are you any different than I do? Do you communicate differently than I do? How do you treat people in the office? How, how, how do you treat people, even that coworker you don't like? How do you treat them? 
How do you treat your neighbor? People are looking for this. They're looking to see how you are living out the Bible on a daily basis. We must make sure that our reasonableness and our gentleness are known and is given towards others as we pursue conflict resolution. Moving on to verse 6. Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the second thing we must do to remove our anxiety is we must release burdens. We must release burdens. Paul tells us here simply just to stop being anxious. He just said, don't be anxious. And we read that and we, and we hear it and we think, yeah, Paul, if it was only that easy, I would just stop being anxious. Right? We, he, we, we know it's not easy. We know it's not simple. And, and Paul knows that as well. Paul knows it's not. So, so he gives us the next step. He tells us that we are to take all of our requests to God. All of our requests. And so prayer here is just a general term for, for our direct line of communication with our Heavenly Father. And supplication is when we can ask or we make specific requests of God. And so what are the things that we should pray about? Paul doesn't just say pray about the big things. He says pray about all things. Pray about everything. Many prayers are not answered because they are simply not prayed. The creator of the universe has given us this beautiful, gracious gift to allow us to directly communicate with him. All we have to do is just do it. Just do it. So how does your prayer life look like? What, what, is your, what does your prayer life look like? Are you, uh, I get up in the morning, I'll say a, a quick prayer and get the day going and maybe we pray over dinner at nighttime if we have dinner together. Or you're on the other end of the spectrum, and may, maybe uh, you have a prayer room in your, in your house, and you go in and you lock the door, and you spend some time in silence and solitude. Wherever you are in that spectrum, I think that we can all agree uh, that we can all do a little bit better at communicating with our Heavenly Father, can't we? I had a guy that I worked with, and this guy is what I would consider to be a prayer warrior. This guy, there was nothing this guy would not pray about. I remember one time we flew into Houston and, and uh, I got off the plane before him and he comes off the plane behind me and he's got three strangers with him. And he flags us over and he brings us over and he, he calls them out by specific name and then mentions their specific prayer request. And we sat there in the terminal in the airport and we prayed and we laid hands on these three strangers because he led us through that. It was pretty amazing. And I mean, this guy, it didn't matter where we were. Sometimes we would be at a conference table discussing big topics or, or we would be outside just standing around in a parking lot and he would just stop and pray. And uh, honestly, at first it was a little shocking. He's just praying. I, I didn't know, I'm, what do I do with my hands? Do I go like this, like this? Or what do we close my eyes? I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what to do in that situation, but I know this. What I was sure of is that this guy was going to God first. He was a prayer first, then act kind of guy. And he modeled for me. I even talked to him this week, and I, I told him I was going to tell this story. He said, keep his name out of it uh, because, he, because he's, he's not, as, not as holy as he was, was uh, what I was leading him up to be. But I told him that he was a mentor for me in that, and I loved it. So there's one thing we must not miss here, and that is our prayers must be made with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Having a grateful heart towards God allows us to not have a complaining spirit when we go to him. So we're grateful. We're not complaining. It's important. There's a distinction there we must know. 
and traveling around the world. I had an opportunity uh, with the military and then with, with a nonprofit doing disaster response to, to really see how uh, the rest of the world leads, uh, lives or, or more, more accurately describe how they survive. I think sometimes you see these situations of, uh, of poverty and, 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 and brokenness and it just it changes you, honestly. And so then when you come back, when I would come back home and, and I would hear these different problems that are going on that I'll describe as, as first world problems, right? First world problems like, uh, hey, my, my AC went out for a day, which, which frankly in South Carolina may be a legitimate problem that we need to pray over uh, the AC. Or, or, or may, maybe your car has to go in the shop for a couple of days. Or, or maybe your kid's iPod broke or whatever, right? you know, first world problems. And I would hear these and I would just left a, a refugee camp or, or, or a disaster response where people were left with nothing. And for a little while, I had a, this calloused attitude, really a calloused heart uh, that, that by the grace of God has really began to, to soften my eyes and open me up to, to recognizing that we, I, I can't have that posture uh, towards people. Because what I learned is that it's not right to compare the problems of a developing country with those here. It's not right. It's, it's, a different, it's, it's not fair to make that comparison. But what, what I do know is what I can recognize is that, man, we have a lot to be grateful for here in this country. A lot to be grateful for. And so while those first world problems, they may be first world problems, but they are still legitimate problems that we have to face on a daily basis. But I think that we can all say, man, that it is only by the grace of God that we were born here and now or have the, have the ability to come here now. And so when we go to God, that's what we need to remember in showing this posture of gratitude for all that he has given us. It changes the way that we pray. And so that when we pray in this way, we receive the peace of God, which is beyond our power to understand. We receive the peace from God, which comes to us as a gift. And we receive peace with God, which happens when we enter into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. This cannot be explained. My words are not sufficient to explain what this is like. It can only be experienced. Pastor and theologian Charles Spurgeon, who I know Pastor Robbie loves, uh, he said this, he described it as the unruffled serenity of the infinitely happy God. Unruffled serenity of the infinitely happy God. So the peace that we receive, the scripture tells us it will guard our hearts and our minds. The word guard here is a military word that, that implies a defensive posture, implies action. Uh, to, 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 as we repel the enemy from the flaming arrows that we, Paul describes in Ephesians 6. This is the peace of God that it actively protects our hearts and our minds. Verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The final thing this passage tells us to do for us to remove our anxieties is to rewire our thoughts. Rewire your thoughts. So if you were able to do a, a thought audit, an audit on the things that you think about on a daily basis, well, what do you think would, would come up? What do you think would be you know, number one through number 10? Probably a lot of us think about our job. Probably think a lot about our family. Hopefully we think about God some. Maybe think about our, our life group or our, our D group. Or, but what are those things that you think about? Are you thinking about maybe your sports team, which for me as an Auburn fan, I don't have to worry about that. I quit thinking about them a long time ago. So I got a little extra space in there now. For some of you, we don't even want to know what you're thinking about. It's probably not safe to get in there. 
But while, listen, while we can't do a thought audit, what we can do is we can do a time audit. Has anybody ever done a time audit before? Yeah, a couple of people. I would encourage you, so your, your phone, most phones have an app where you can look on and you can see where you spend the most amount of time on your apps, on, on your phone. And I think a lot of times you think maybe it's, uh, uh, you know, I spent all my time on the Bible app, devotions and prayer and all these things. I think you would be surprised to find that it's probably something else. Probably not. Bible app may be down at the bottom somewhere, unfortunately. So maybe email, maybe messages, maybe social media, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Maybe checking the latest sports scores. But for some of you in dire need of sanctification, it makes you probably lay hands on before you get out of here today. It'll be TikTok. God help your soul if that's the case. Listen, I think that we can all say that, that the things that we bring into our mind, it changes our minds, doesn't it? It changes our minds. So other than your phone, where are you getting content from? Where are you ingesting media from? When was the last time you read a book? I'm talking about like a real book, one without pictures in it, right? Maybe, maybe one that edified God and not just was personally intriguing. Paul tells us here to think and dwell and ponder on things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. And so when we put these things into our minds, they change our minds and they come out as the fruit. They come out as the fruit and they see this. It's a whole garbage in, garbage out principle. We, we've heard that before. So these are the things that are both the food that nourishes our mind and the fruit that is produced. This is the fruit that is nourished and protected by the grace of God. Romans 12, 2 tells us, uh, Paul tells us here to, to not be conformed by, to this world, but to be transformed or renewed, have a renewal of our minds. This is renewal, make new. So what are you doing to make new your mind, to renew your mind on a daily basis? I did a social media and a news fast one time for a week just to see what would happen. T two things I learned. One is I did not die. Did not die. So you can, you can fast from social media news and you will live, guaranteed. The second thing I learned is, man, I just had this peace about me that week that I just felt like had, I had never felt before. When I didn't have the distraction, the constant inundation of news and media and all this stuff, like, I had this peace about it. It was amazing. It was amazing. We need to fill our minds with the healthy, God-honoring things. How are you doing with your Bible reading plan right now? Started, we're about halfway through the year. How's the Bible reading plan going? Maybe a couple days behind. It's okay. A week, maybe. That's all right. A month. Some of us maybe had a little failure to launch in January, didn't we? We didn't, didn't really get out like we wanted to. Let me encourage you in this way. Sometimes I think with the Bible reading plan, as an example, uh, when we get behind, we begin to start feeling bad about it. So then we, 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 we want to pursue... Uh, the plan less and less, but think of it at least this way. The point of the Bible reading plan is not to go through the Bible and check off all the boxes. The point when we go through Scripture is that Scripture goes through us. Or said differently, the point of going through the Word is that then the Word goes through us. And so that is written on our hearts and our minds. What are you listening to right now? You listening to a good podcast when you work out or when you're driving down the road? What are you listening to? Are you listening to uh, some, some deep theological conversations? Maybe a, uh, a sermon series from another pastor that you like that Robbie is approved of? I don't know which ones those are. Uh, or are you listening to Joe Rogan interview the latest UFC fighter? I think we know which one we probably should listen to more. It's not Joe. And listen, these are all ways that we can re rewire our thoughts and renew our thoughts in a God-honoring way.
verse 9, Philippians 4, verse 9. It says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Learned, received, heard, and seen. Now, practice. Paul instructs the church in Corinth in a similar fashion where he tells them to imitate him as he is imitating Christ. Now, that sounds a lot like discipleship to me. Sounds a lot like discipleship. The Together Church mission statement is this, is to love God, love others, and make disciples of Jesus everywhere. So what does that mean? How, how do we do that last part? How do we do the make disciples of Jesus everywhere? I know that, that Pastor Robbie has been leading through a discipleship series and training uh, many of you to lead D groups and lead life groups. But what did Jesus do? Jesus, you know, what was his models? He brought together 12 ordinary men and he spent time with them. He invested in them. They ate together. They traveled together. They learned together. And then as a result, when it was time, Jesus commissioned them to go to the ends of the world. And as a result of these men's obedience and his discipleship of them for three, three and a half years, you and I now know the gospel. And we have that we can look at today. Someone told me at one point in time that you are not a disciple until you have made a disciple. Now, we're all discipling somebody or something. Maybe it's, maybe it's poker. You know, I'm teaching people how to play poker. Maybe it's something else. Something else. You're making disciples of somebody everything that you do. But are you making disciples of Jesus Christ? When you're following Christ and you look behind, is anybody following you? Think about that today. I want to close this morning as we prepare to close and Cameron comes up. He's going to, he's going to play a little bit. But I want to talk about real quick the Sermon on the Mount. Not the whole Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, we don't have time for all that. I want to talk about some specific section. Um, but to, so in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, the second largest section by verse number is a section on anxiety. That's the second in all the topics that Jesus addresses to the Sermon on the Mount. The second long, longest is on anxiety. And he opens the section with the command to not be anxious. And he closes with a reminder to not be anxious about tomorrow because tomorrow will be anxious for itself. That was the second largest section. The largest section in, the all, in all of the Sermon on the Mount is when Jesus' disciples ask him to teach them how to pray. Teach us, Jesus, how to pray. And he says, when you pray, pray in this way. Now we have the Lord's Prayer that we all know. So isn't it interesting that, that the second largest section is on anxiety, but the number one section is on prayer? Where do we prioritize that in our lives? Do we have it flipped? Are we anxious first? And then we pray? Or do we, do we pray first? Jesus gave us the perfect solution. Are you anxious? Stop. Pray. Think about godly things. So this morning, some of you, you maybe you're new to church and, and you're, you're just here kind of on a, a fact-finding mission. You just want to learn a little bit more about what's this God, what's, what's church about. And we're glad that you're here. There's no other place we'd rather you be than here today. There's people, we have our prayer team that you can go and see. We'd love to be able to answer some of the questions. We're not going to know all the answers. That's why there's called faith. And for some of you, you've been coming for a while, 
And you've not made that decision yet. You continue to feel the promptings of the Holy Spirit and you put it off as, man, it's just a hunger pain. I need to get out of here. Pastor Robbie's talking too long. But maybe today is the day that you finally make that decision and you repent of your sins and you turn to your Heavenly Father. Finally, for many of us this morning, I think we can all admit that we are an anxious people. I think we can all admit that, man, we need to release these burdens. Maybe today, maybe this morning is the time for you to turn to your Heavenly Father and ask Him on your behalf to relieve you of this anxiety you're feeling on a daily basis. I want you to take the next few minutes. This is, uh, we're going to spend the time in response. Just a few minutes. You can stay in your seat and you can pray. And the band's going to come up and lead us as we close in worship today.